things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of stuff to get into, and I got to sit up there and let you know right now, I'm a proud, proud, proud black man, but there's a few people that's going to be pissed at me today. I mean, from coaching openings in the NBA to shootings all over the country to senators getting in, into it with foreign countries to reparations. I mean, I'm all over the damn place. I'm all over the damn place, but what else is new? It's Stephen A. This is the Stephen A. Smith Show. What the hell did you expect? Roll it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, coming at you as I love to do at the very, very least three times a week, usually every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But yesterday was Memorial Day, and I had that day off, so I decided to come in on a Tuesday to make sure I deliver the goods to you as usual. I'm here in my studio thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Lots of stuff to get into today. To be quite honest with you, lots of dicey stuff, lots of stuff that's may piss some people off considering the kind of conversations and the kind of things that we're going to touch on. But I'm known for not running from subjects, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm not about to start now. I'm going to get into conversations and subject matter during this episode of the Stephen A. Smith Show that's not comfortable for everybody to listen to. I'm just bracing you for that. So before I go anywhere else, let me first get the NBA stuff out of the way before I get into some of these other topics that I want to touch on, because I think it's just the right thing to do. Let me get this out of the way first. I can't believe that I'm ending up going to South Beach. I can't believe that I'm going to end up having a happy place at some point in time during these NBA finals. I was damn near depressed thinking that I was going to have to end up in Boston and Denver because the reality is they ain't, they ain't L.A. and Miami. But Miami handled this business in a game seven, blowing out the Boston Celtics at TD Garden. We can get in some of the particulars. Miami shooting better than 50% in game seven, 50% to be exact, 14 of 28 from three-point range. Miami shot better than 50% from deep in three of the four wins that they had. We could look at the, and in the reverse, the Boston Celtics shooting nine of 42 from threes in game seven. They were absolutely abysmal. It's the sixth worst shooting performance. Uh, from three in a game seven in NBA history with a minimum of 30 attempts. We know there's no excuse for how awful they looked shooting the basketball. Yes, they bossed the shot a combined 16 to 77, which is just 21% from three-point range in game six and seven combined. 
Jimmy Butler showed out. He was the MVP for the conference finals. I didn't think it should have been him as much love and respect as I have for Jimmy. I thought it should have been Caleb Martin, who was a model of consistency, averaging better than 19 points throughout the series, shooting 60% from the field, 49% from three-point range, and was a constant, consistent presence throughout the Eastern Conference Finals. No doubt about that. I thought he deserved MVP for the conference finals. He got four of the nine votes. Jimmy Butler got the other five. He's a leader. He's called upon to accept and embrace more responsibility as a result of doing so and Miami winning this he definitely got the credit for it nobody's sneezing at that nobody's lamenting that but the bottom line is I thought Kayla Martin deserved a whole lot of love a guy signed to a two-way contract in 2021 after coming over from Charlotte was benched for the entirety of game seven of last year's Eastern Conference Finals in Miami against these same Boston Celtics. He comes back this year and not only did he ball, he was a flat out star. So I give love and respect where it's due to Kayla Martin. I'm sad for Jason Tatum. I think that Jason Tatum, a superstar in this game, may have experienced an entirely different outcome if Jason Tatum hadn't twisted, rolled over, and twisted his ankle. The first offensive player of the game. Now, for those that sit up there and say, you don't want to hear that, Stephen, they don't want to hear that, all I'm going to remind you is this. This is the Jason Tatum that dropped 51 in a game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Boston Celtics. This is the same Jason Tatum that has career averages in game sevens of 28.8 points, okay? 28.8 points on 50% shooting and 48% shooting from three-point range. That Jason Tatum. This is the Jason Tatum that's widely recognized as the best player, if not universally recognized, as the best player on the Boston Celtics. 6'9 with a handle, a J, can finish at the rim, can finish in the open court. That Jason Tatum. And I, and I dare say that if Jason Tatum hadn't gotten hurt, At the very least, they wouldn't have started off slow offensively. It would have been a nip and tuck battle throughout. As a result, the game would have been tight. And who knows what would have happened? Because let me tell you something to somebody that's been covering sports for the 30 years. Excuse my language. But in big time games, palms get sweaty. Asses get tight. And folks get real nervous. And it comes oozing out of their pores. And you find out the men from the boys. The greatness of a Steph Curry, the greatness of a Michael Jordan, a Kobe Bryant, a LeBron James, and others. This is where it comes from. Because in the most pressurized of moments, they don't seem to be phased. And one could easily argue that's Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler in game six, after having a horrendous shooting game, showed up in the last three minutes of regulation and nearly propelled Miami to a victory in game six. I thought they were dead and dog tired, that they emptied the chamber, that they'd have nothing left. And sure enough, they turned around and showed up in Boston at TD Bank Garden and went right at the Boston Celtics. But I do think it was helped significantly by Jason Tatum's injury. Having said all of that, Jason Tatum, a 30-point-per-game scorer this year for the Boston Celtics. Larry Bird never even did that for the Boston Celtics, by the way. His sidekick, or number two per se, is Jalen Brown, who averaged 26 a game this year. And this brother's got the ball in his hands. And Jalen Brown was awful. He couldn't buy a basket. He turned the ball over eight times, which was a career high for him. It was bad. He had one of his worst games. Imagine shoot like eight of 23 from the field, one of nine from three-point range. It was bad. Jimmy Butler nearly outscored Tatum and Jalen Brown combined. Now, this is the same Jalen Brown that's looking for a five-year extension, $295 million. That's the, that's the super max deal that he's eligible for. 
And because he's eligible for those dollars, paying him nearly $59 million a year, Boston may have some decisions to make. I'm of the mindset that Jalen Brown probably is not satisfied being a 1A option. He wants to be a number one option. If he wanted to be a 1A option, understanding that Jason Tatum, this is his team, and it's going to stay that way, and he was willing to be that 1A option, I say you the Boston Celtics, you keep Jalen Brown. He's 26. Jason Tatum's 25. They've been to five conference finals together. Why the hell break that up when he's got youth, they both got youth on their side? They can sit up there and grow together for the next half decade. Why the hell am I letting them go? Unless Jalen Brown wants to be gone. And if he wants to be gone and he wants to be a number one option as opposed to a 1A option, if I'm the Boston Celtics, I'm on the phone with Damian Lillard. With the Boston Portland Trailblazers about Damian Lillard. Because you put that brother at TD Garden. Not to say that he would go. Not to say that he wants to go. But I'm saying that sniper extraordinaire. That marksman extraordinaire. That dude who closed, who waves goodbye to people as he's busting their ass. That guy. I got to tell you something. I at least make the call and I look at it. That's just me. If I'm the New York Knicks, I see if there's a sucker in Boston that would take what I got to offer. I'd offer them Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. I'd give them up both for Jalen Brown. That's just me personally. I'd do it. I'm sorry, but I would. I'm sorry, but I would. I don't care how Jalen Brown looked last night. If I could get him to New York in the same backcourt as Jalen Brunson, I'd be ecstatic. Now, I can dream because certain, certain, certain you know, points of my dreams, certain Certain nuggets of my dreams come true. After all, I'm going to Miami. I'm going to Miami. I'm going to be there for game three or four. I mean, dreams do come true. They can happen to you. Yes, I'm going to South Beach, and I'm very, very happy about that. There is some salvation to this 2022-2023 season, and it's me going to South Beach. I don't know, and I can't see Miami beating Denver. Because Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell Pope. I mean, these brothers, I mean, good Lord. Bruce Brown, Michael Porter Jr. He's got a crew they're accustomed to playing together. I got questions about their depth, but not their willingness and ability to play together. And I don't see Miami having any kind of answer for Jokic whatsoever. So that is an issue. But we'll see as time goes on, as we continue to handicap these NBA finals moving forward, we'll see what transpires. And by the way, in the days to come, I'm going to give you a hotline. Matter of fact, I'm going to make sure I get that to you before the end of the show because I want people to call into the show because I want to start taking some calls. That's something I'm going to incorporate into this show, okay? And believe it or not, man, I got a lot of ladies calling me, you know, want some advice. And I, I mean, you know, I do give good advice. I need to talk about myself. I don't talk about myself. But other people help because, you know, you got a lot of dudes out there that, you know, they driving these women crazy. And the ladies, you know, they've been reaching out for help. I ain't asked for it now, but they've been asking. They've heard some advice that I've given in the past, and they want me to include that on this podcast. I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind. Stephen A's here for you, baby. I'm here for you. But I digress. Calls, emails, tweets, and all of that other stuff will be coming down the pike and be included in this show in the days to come. So stay tuned for that. Let me transition to some of these coaches real quick because I want to get off sports as quickly as I can because I got some other stuff on my mind. Nick Nurse, former head coach of the Toronto Raptors, won the championship in 2019, if I remember correctly, with Kawhi Leonard as a star. 
Uh, he bounced the ball in off the rim four different times before it fell through and sent Joel Embiid home crying into the arms of his girlfriend in the hallway when uh, they beat the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference semifinals. He ended up winning the title that year, beating the Golden State Warriors in six games uh, when Kevin Durant was hurt. And obviously, Klay Thompson went down in that game six after dropping 30 in the first three quarters. Um, Nick Nurse departed from the Toronto Raptors, and now he's landed the job as the new head coach for the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers have gone from a doctor to a nurse. Doc Rivers is gone. Nick Nurse is in. Nick Nurse can coach. Nick Nick Nurse knows the game of basketball. Nick Nurse knows how to make adjustments. He's widely respected, if not universally respected, throughout NBA circles. Nobody's disputing that. But to me, the Sixers' fortunes and their future isn't contingent on a coach. It's contingent on James Harden, in which James Harden is going to show up. Can he still do the type of things that he used to do? The brother's still an all-star. He led the league in assists this year, nearly 11 a game, I think 10.7 to be exact. Um, but he didn't show up in the big games, primarily games six and seven, which Boston won um, and ultimately secured a berth to the Eastern Conference Finals because the 76ers could not take them out. What's going to happen with him? Yeah, you got to elevate Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, you got to figure out what you're going to get from Tobias Harris. You got to figure out what other reserves are going to give you to offset the pressure placed on the shoulders of the reigning league MVP and Joel Embiid. But the reality is that comes down to Harden, who essentially you're stuck with. You gave up an abundance of assets to get him. You're still over the cap, with or without him. Um, chances of you being able to trade for him, he'd have to approve it. And who's to say he's going to do that? You got a lot of question marks involving James Harden. And to me, it comes down to whether or not Nick Nurse is going to be that guy that can do it for you. I think it's a good hire. I'm incredibly happy that Milwaukee hired Adrian Griffin. He's a former NBA player who spent the last several years as an assistant coach, particularly the last five years in Toronto. Um, He used to be an assistant coach in Chicago. He helped the development of Jimmy Butler exponentially. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, He's considered a player's guy to some degree and somebody that can really nurture and build upon those players. And I do need... I do need. I do think that Milwaukee needed a personality transplant because Budenholzer did win a title for them as their head coach a couple of years back. He's incredibly accomplished, but at the same time, you do get tired of hearing the same voice, and ultimately it gets old and it's time for something new. They got their man in Adrian Griffin. Now it's the Phoenix Suns' turn because Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are looking for a new head coach. Doc Rivers is a candidate for that job, but I can tell you right now, the coach they really, really want is Ty Lue for the Clippers. Here's the deal. Ty Lue, Clippers ain't trying to let him go. Ty Lue would love to take that that Phoenix Suns job. He'll never tell anybody this, but I'm telling you what I feel. Ty Lue want to coach players that he knows he can depend on to play. Fact of the matter is, Kevin Durant, when he's really injured, he's really injured because that brother ain't trying to miss any games. Devin Booker, the same thing. Might not handle things right after he loses and avoids press conferences, but on the basketball court, Devin Booker is elite. And more importantly, they want to play basketball all day, every day. And when it's over, they want to golf, at least in Devin Booker's case, because he's addicted to the sport of golf. Playing it, that is. But Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are going to be the primary individuals making this case making the case of who the next head coach should be. It's just that simple.
And so as we know that, as we realize that, as we accept that for what it is, here we come. We got to think of something different now. If you, to me, if you are the Phoenix Suns, here's the question that everybody needs to answer. Should they hire a coach now because Ty Lue isn't available? Or should they put an interim in place waiting for Ty Lue to come to them a year later, which he would do, in my opinion? Which select, which choice should they make? It's a hard one. Because Matt Ishbia, the new owner for the Phoenix Suns, who played over $4 billion, who paid over $4 billion to get him, ain't trying to wait. Kevin Durant is 35. He ain't getting no younger. He's going to be 35. Chris Paul, 38. He ain't getting any younger. You Ishbia, you ain't trying to wait. But who can get it done for you? Doc Rivers has not been without a head coaching job in the last 24 years. But he hasn't won a title since 2008, hasn't been in the final since 2010. And I think he's an exceptional coach, a Hall of Fame coach. But the reality is a lot of players in Philadelphia were not upset about seeing him gone. So if you're Phoenix, what do you do? Me personally, I think Todd Rivers could coach just as good as Ty Lue. But Ty Lue is great. Maybe I want to take that back because Ty Lue, I mean, he's a protege of Doc Rivers. But my God, Ty, Ty Lue is something special. And Doc Rivers is damn good too. It's just that that voice ultimately may wear on some of today's players. Not his fault. It just is what it is. We don't know. We shall see. Either way we slice it, we get an NBA Finals. That's the priority right now. It's the Denver Nuggets versus the Miami Heat. It's not the Lakers versus the Celtics. It's not that tradition in the history. But it is Nikola Jokic. It is Jamal Murray. It is the Mile High City and arguably the best home crowd in the NBA. Although others would say Sacramento. I would personally say if the, war, if the Warriors were back at the Oracle in Oakland instead of at the Chase Center in San Francisco, they would be the best home crowd. But that's neither here nor there. It's the Denver Nuggets versus the Miami Heat. And I, for one, am looking forward to it. Obviously, basketball in the NBA Finals is a big reason. But the palm trees and the sunshine and various other things in Miami is just as compelling to look forward to. Yes. Take that photo down. I wasn't thinking about such thing. Get your mind out of the gutter to my producers. Get your mind out of the gutter. My mind wasn't going there. My mind wasn't going there. Okay? Wasn't going there at all. I'm just saying. I'm looking forward to watching basketball at the American Airlines Arena. I think that's safe to say. Back with more serious topics to discuss in a minute. Certain things are far more important than sports. And I'm going to get into all of that in just a minute. Don't touch that dial. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Stephen A. Smith Show. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Before I get any further into my next subject... I want to make sure to, first of all, thank a lot of the viewers out there. Ever since I went live uh, on YouTube in January, um, 
my following just continues to grow and grow and grow. I'm up to nearly 125,000 subscribers. And to be quite honest with you, I'm after far more than that. You know, when all of this is said and done and I go away from all of this in years to come, because I plan on doing this for years to come because I love doing it. I plan on having millions of subscribers. Okay. Just like I got millions of followers all over my social media platforms. This is something that I plan on adding to it. I want viewers to make sure you subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith channel. I want to remind you of the importance of doing that. All the support that I get that just enthuses me and it motivates me to continue to doing this for years and years and years to come. So I want to thank y'all all for y'all support. And I want to encourage y'all by reminding y'all as viewers to please make sure to subscribe to my channel, the Stephen A. Smith channel right here on YouTube. I want to be very clear. We all know what my day job is working for ESPN, but that is not why I'm the way that I am in terms of being real and authentic, but while at the same time, mindful of the corporate environment that I live in. I'm the way that I am because I don't think about myself. I think about you all. You got to understand that for all intents and purposes, I'm okay. It's not to say that you ever stop living, that you ever stop pursuing your goals or anything like that. But basically, considering where I come from, the humble beginnings where I come from, as poor as myself and my family were growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York City, born in the Bronx on Hoe Avenue, living in the projects the first year of my life, living in a home with holes in the roofs and rats and roaches and all of that other stuff. The humble beginnings that I've come from to where I am today. There's a lot of people that I owe a tremendous level of gratitude towards because of the, vi the guidance they provided me. I'm not some weak punk individual that's scared to address the issues that need to be addressed. I just believe in doing so responsibly enough where you can address it and you're not encouraging people to do stuff that you know they would never get away with. So I want to make sure that everybody understands that. That's why I'm careful. It's not to say that I don't make mistakes. Not to say that I ain't going to mess up because I'm quite sure I'm not perfect. I'm not flawless. And I'm quite sure that screw ups are going to happen in my life. They've damn sure happened in the past. And damn it, they're going to happen in the future because I'm a human being and none of us are infallible. The flip side to it, however, is. I'm not an asshole on purpose. I'm not knowingly stupid. I might be ignorant to my own damn stupidity sometimes, but at least I'm ignorant to it as opposed to knowing I'm stupid and being stupid anyway, without any effort whatsoever to be smarter. I bring stuff like that up because when I broke, when I, I spoke on Ron DeSantis uh, uh, over a week ago, I said what he was doing was stupid. Not that he was stupid because we know he's not. And I say the same right now to, Senator Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, this dude, Lindsey Graham, and I'm putting on my glasses here. You know, I can read, but, you know, it's better for me. I'm you know, 55, you know, eyes. You know. Lindsey Graham, this is the, this is the nonsense this, this man is embroiled in. Russia! As in country, Russia, the ones who have invaded Ukraine, that Russia. 
issued a warrant, an arrest warrant for U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham after an edited video appeared to show him celebrating the deaths of Russian troops. The footage, which spliced together two separate moments, was posted by Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's office after Graham met with him in Kiev last Friday. In the video, Graham called the USA to Kiev, quote, the best money we've ever spent, noting Russian troops were dying. The footage showed Graham made the comments during two separate parts of the meeting, subsequently edited to appear immediately after one another. Later in an unedited clip, Graham said originally many believed Ukraine would survive just three days of Moscow's onslaught, noting that instead the Russians are dying. Naturally, the Kremlin Moscow criticized Senator Graham's comments last week. A Kremlin spokesperson telling reporters, quote, it's hard to imagine a greater shame for the country than having such a senator or having such senators. Russia's interior ministry, which puts Senator Graham on a wanted list, did not say what crimes he had committed. Graham later wrote in a Twitter post on Monday, I'll, I will wear the arrest warrant issued by Putin's corrupt and immoral government as a badge of honor. Now, maybe I'm overreacting. See, ladies and gentlemen, one of my favorite all-time shows was 24 by Kiefer Sutherland. And you remember one of those seasons when you know, obviously in the day, you know, they got these kids. It's one of the greatest, greatest shows in the history of television as far as I'm concerned. I loved 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. I go back and watch old episodes right now. Season one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, all of them. Even when the brother who played Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton succeeded Kiefer Sutherland. I still watch that. He did a damn good job. Love 24. But there was a season that ended. Where it was the very last one with Keith, Keith Sutherland, where they kidnapped his right hand girl, the tech whiz that always looked out for him, and he had to go get her back. And Keith Sutherland walked up to him in the helicopter and he said, I'm taking you at your word, but if anything happens to her, to, to my family, or anyone close to me, he said, You'll pay for it and you will never see it coming. And the Russian guy that came to get him said, we just want you, Mr. Bauer. That's all we've ever wanted. What I'm saying is, is that even though it was a television show, it's not beyond the realm of comprehension that if you're an elected official, you can get got. You don't know what could happen to you. You don't know how some, anybody can get at you. You can think you're walking around with all sorts of security. You sure? You sure? Why would you do that? Why would you engage in that kind of incendiary rhetoric? Knowing we got nukes, they got nukes, they're already bombing the Ukraine. Lord knows what else they could do. No wonder we, as a country, had to give up. Somebody that was an arms dealer that was nicknamed the angel of death. Just so we could get back Brittany Griner. Who we love and appreciate and is a two-time Olympic gold medalist and a champion and an elite athlete, but nevertheless an athlete. And we had to give up a prolific arms dealer who purportedly plotted 
to kill Americans years ago before he was captured. We had to release him in order to get Brittany Griner back from Russia. Knowing stuff like this, you're a senator. Why would you engage in such rhetoric like that? Knowing that we still got a few American citizens over there being held by Russia. That we would like to get back home. Why would you do that? Why? Because it looks good and it makes you feel good to your constituency. You can't find a different way to address matters without engaging in such incendiary rhetoric, making it even harder for people who are not senators, who are not elected officials, who do not have the direct flagrant support of the government as their buffers. I mean, damn, Senator LeGrand. I mean, damn. Y'all don't believe me with what I'm saying about Lizzie Graham. Look at this. Here it is. Here it is for yourself. Look at it yourself. Yes. And we will be. And the Russians are dying. It's the best money we've ever spent. Dumb. Just dumb. You don't need to do it. Either dumb or you did it for the cameras and you was busy thinking about yourself. Instead of the lives that it could ultimately impact. It's just a thought, y'all. It's just a thought. I'll move on. I won't belabor that point because I got bigger fish to fry. And this is the part where I said that folks are not going to be happy with me and where I'm about to go with all of this. So there was another mass shooting. Memorial Day tragedy is what they call it. It's nothing new. In this particular instance, nine people were shot, including a one-year-old child in Hollywood, uh, Florida, during an altercation Monday night between two groups near a busy area of the beach, according to officials. The gunfire that rang out this Memorial Day weekend was part of at least 262 mass shootings in the U.S. so far this year. 262. For those of you who've forgotten, a mass shooting is defined as one in which at least four people are shot, excluding the shooter. The injured ranged in age from one years of age to 65 years of age. And by the way, the scene joins the list of other common destinations that have been the setting of gun violence thus far this year. That includes schools, grocery stores, birthday parties, and malls. I believe in Queens, New York, the other day, a man got into an argument with his nephew, pulled out his gun, shot him eight times, and then tried to shoot his niece. I'm looking at some of the cities where these mass shootings have taken place. Monterey Park, California, Allen, Texas, Half Moon Bay, California, Cedar City, Utah, Goshen, California, or Goshen, Coldwater, Mississippi, Henriette, Oklahoma, Nashville, Texas, not Tennessee, Nashville, Texas, Louisville, Kentucky, and not Cleveland, Ohio, but Cleveland, Texas. You know what struck, 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 struck me? California got strict gun laws. Texas doesn't. There's been shootings in New York, New Jersey. There's been shootings in Florida. There's been shootings in Colorado. 
There's been shootings in Texas. There's been shootings in Utah. There's been shootings in California. This is some serious stuff. And I said it the other day, and I'll say it again. Megyn Kelly, who used to work at Fox News, when she made her quote that put everybody in an uproar, I didn't disagree with her. She said she got sick and tired of people talking about gun laws or gun control because you ain't getting it. There's over 330 Americans in the United States of America. There's over 400. There's over 400, over 330 million Americans in the United States of America. There's over 400 million guns. Over 400 million guns. I know a couple of people that just came from Cuba. Guns ain't allowed there. Gun laws are strict in a lot of different places. Not in the United States of America. It varies from state to state. But the fact of the matter is the bad guys always, always end up having them, which is why I'm not a hard and fast dude against Second Amendment rights. I believe in some cases people should have guns. I don't think you need AR-15 rifles, AK-47s or anything like that. But I do think that you should have the ability to protect yourself because the police ain't going to always get there in time. I can agree with that. Think you should be licensed. I think you should be trained so you know how to use it and you don't harm anybody but the intended party and only should be used in self-defense. But the reality of the situation is I got a deeper issue on my mind. And I've tried to avoid this subject, but I can't. Because you see, recently, And I'm speaking to you right now as a black man. Recently, we've seen stories emanating out of California and various other places on the subject of reparations. Slavery, Jim Crow laws, um, and other incendiary, th incendiary things that existed to pigeonhole, marginalize, and suppress and oppress minorities in this country. We know it's real. I'm not going to belabor it. But when I bring up something like reparations, although I believe there is a case many in this country can make for it, particularly since reparations was paid to Japan in the aftermath of the atom bomb being dropped on Hiroshima, the fact of the matter is, is that at this particular moment in time, that ain't on my mind. My point is that if we're going to bring up subjects like this and we're going to bring up subjects like police brutality or brutality on the part of some police officers, as I like to say. When we're going to look at ourselves. When it comes to black people. Being killed in the streets of America. I don't even want to get into what happened in Chicago, but I have no choice. This past Memorial Day weekend from Friday to Monday, at least 53 people were shot. 11 fatally, according to police. If one black person was killed by the police, we'd raise holy hell and in some cases there'd be riots in the streets. And damn it, I'm not here to sit up there and blame anybody for that because I'm tired of the nonsense that we've seen going on in the streets aimed at black Americans. 
That's not where I'm going. What I'm saying is, where's the due diligence when it comes to putting a spotlight on what we're doing to each other? Because this shit is pissing me off. 53 lives. 53 in one weekend. It's not the first time this has happened. It's been happening year after year after year. Chicago, St. Louis, Baltimore, the list goes on and on. Where's the noise at? Where's the protests? Where's mainstream media talking about that? Where is it? That's what I want to know. Because let me tell you something. Nothing else matters if we're dead. Nothing else matters if we're killing each other. Forget about what we deserve. Some people have different forms of reparations. They want money from the government, even though the government's national debt is at $31.4 trillion as of last month. I hear you, though. Because, damn it, if we come up with money to give to Ukraine, which I'm not opposed to, and we come up with money to take care of immigrants coming into our borders, and we come up with money every time we feel the need to address one issue or another that happens in this country, we damn sure could come up with money for our minority populace that contributed to the upliftment of this, com- of this country that was marginalized and demonized and ostracized and oppressed for years. So nobody's trying to sit up there and say that we don't deserve something. My point is, it's debatable as to what that could be. It could be making sure the economy flourishes and that there's job opportunities. It could be by contributing to education and enabling folks that otherwise couldn't afford an education to make sure they get educated so we can uplift our society. There's a variety of ways that reparations could take place. But it doesn't matter if we're dead. It doesn't matter. Especially at our own hands. And for those of you out there, especially the white people, this way to go, Stephen. Hey, bravo, bravo. You know what I'm saying? Because something needs to be said. Y'all kill each other too. White folks kill white folks. Hispanic folks kill Hispanic folks. Black folks killing black folks ain't no different than other what other communities are doing to themselves. It's just that your numbers are greater. If you are the Hispanic population in the United States of America and you make up 17% of the population, and by the year 2030, the Census Bureau reports says you're going to make up 30% of the population. Well, guess what? When you die, from a numbers perspective, it doesn't have as a profound of an effect as it does to the black community. If you're a white community and you're making up 60% of the population and you kill one another, it doesn't have as detrimental of effect numbers-wise as it does in a black community. Because the black community as of 2021 made up 12.5% of the U.S. population. It was once 15. It did down to 14 and a half. And then 14 and then 13 and a half. I thought the number was 13. I was corrected. It's less than 13%. We damn near on the verge of becoming an endangered species. 
What are we going to do about it? This is why I preach about the importance of nonviolence. And I'm a Malcolm X kind of dude more so than Martin Luther King. But you got to make sense. And you got to understand what the end game is and where do you win when violence is the answer. And all I mean by that, MLK compared to Malcolm X, I'm talking about an eye for an eye. As opposed to let somebody slap me upside my head or beat me with baton or hose me down with waters and I do nothing. Or water hose and I do nothing. No, I'm of the other ilk. But I also got to understand, there comes a moment in time where you got to think differently. You got to have a mind more towards peace and be more thoughtful, more cerebral in your approach towards things. And my first order of business is being alive to fight another day. I remember when Trayvon Martin got killed by the wannabe cop. Mr. Zimmerman, who was some, 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 some neighborhood watchman or whatever in the, 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 the complex or something. And somebody got mad at me when I told my nephew, pull that damn hoodie off your head. Oh, you're you giving into that. You're going to tell him not to wear his hoodie. What I was saying was, sure, you should be able to wear your hoodie. Sure, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Sure, you shouldn't be victimized and, and the worst shouldn't be assumed of you because you have on a hoodie. But because you know the likelihood is that you would have been at the time. Why invite stuff upon yourself? When you can simply choose to take off your hoodie. And fight a different, more winnable battle. It's about the marathon, not the sprint. It's about the marathon, not a sprint. That's what we got to recognize. That's what we got to think about. As we continue our fight. Fighting for the right thing. Because at the end of the day, what we want is all of us to come together. Do we really want to be enemies with other folks? Do we really want to fight all the time? Do we really want to be devoid of peace and tranquility? Do we really want hostility and chaos and noise in our freaking lives every second of every day? Do we really want that? I don't think so. Some politicians might want it that way for us. Some folks who want to manipulate votes and influence what politicians we pick might want that. But not the average citizen busting their butt to make an honest living in this world. They don't wish that upon themselves. We know better, y'all. We know better. I got a little bit more for you. I ain't finished. I got one more segment coming your way. Stick around. Don't touch that dial. You're watching and listening to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Before I get on to a couple of subjects, before I get on out of here for the day, I want you to know the reason I brought up that subject about the Memorial Day shootings and what have you is because 
According to the Center for American Progress and Independent Nonpartisan Policy Institute, I might add. If y'all wondering why I brought up the subject that I brought up, let me read a couple of numbers to you, a couple of stats that you might be interested in. Gun homicides are on the rise in the United States, particularly with young black and brown people experiencing the highest rates. Black Americans are 10 times more likely than white Americans to die by gun homicides. In 2020, 12,179 black Americans were killed with guns compared with 7,286 white Americans. While black Americans made up 12 and a half percent of the U.S. population that year. They were victims in 61 percent of all gun homicides. Gun homicides are concentrated in a relatively small number of neighborhoods in these cities, which have historically been undersourced and racially segregated. Again, that is according to the Center for American Progress and Independent Nonpartisan Policy Institute. So I want to make sure that I pointed that out. A um, couple of things before I get on out of here. Um, birthright issues. Why the hell would I bring that up? Because according to the reports, former President Donald Trump has vowed to end birthright citizenship. Day one, he's in office. So what does that mean, y'all? If you are an immigrant and you illegally cross our borders and you give birth to someone on U.S. soil, in this day and age, that makes you a United States citizen. If Trump has his way, that ends. To be quite honest with you, I don't know how to feel about that. You ever think that something makes sense, particularly legally, but it just seems cruel? See, we brag about being the greatest country in the world, which by and large, most Americans believe we are. And the primary reason we feel that way about ourselves is because we're a democracy. It's the land of opportunity, the home of the free. Land of the free and the brave. And we're willing to fight on behalf of the less fortunate and disenfranchised around the world, according to what we say of ourselves. For the betterment of our society and of our world as a whole. It's what democracy is all about. That's what we pride ourselves in being. We got open borders. We embrace everybody. This is what we say. Yet we advertise this. Now, to be clear and fear, I believe we have to be a nation of laws. I believe that if other nations don't have their borders open where you can just walk in, other democratic nations don't have their borders open and just anybody can come in, even illegally and thrive and prosper and stuff like that without paying their fair share of taxes and all of this other stuff. I believe if they prohibit that from transpiring, we should too. On one hand, I believe that. I believe that you should have to get in line and that people who stand in line, because as my boy Jeff, my man Jeff Brown based in California once said to me, Steve, 
Imagine that you had Six Flags Great Adventure. And you had to stand in one of those lines for two hours before it got you got on a ride. And then right when it was time for you to hop on a ride, somebody jumped in front of you without having to stand on line. How would you feel? I said, damn, I'd be ready to fight. Hell no, they ain't getting in front of me. And he was like, that's how folks who pursue legal, legal migration into this country feel when illegal immigrants get in by jumping in front of them, never having to stand on line. That was his analogy. That makes perfect sense to me. In support of laws that govern our borders. And by the way, it's not a party affiliation. Do your homework. Barack Obama, there's plenty of illegal immigrants he sent, he sent home. He sent them away. He did it in droves. He didn't advertise it. He didn't stick out his chest and proudly brag about it. He didn't never gave you the impression that he had a, that, that, that he had no issue with separating children from their parents because that's not who he was. So when you take those particulars into consideration and you see how desensitized our society has come to those issues because we're so vehement against illegal immigrants entering our country because they're such a threat to us compared to some of the stuff that's going on in the streets. This is what folks will have you believe. Now you see it's been politicized. And it's feeding a different agenda. And even though you understand the point from a legal perspective, you understand that there's an inhumane element that comes with it. And I'm not down with that. There's got to be a better way. I'm not saying I know what that way is, but there's got to be a better way than this. And I guess it's a method to discourage people from coming over here and becoming impregnated and giving birth to a child on U.S. soil and thinking that's going to leave that child as a U.S. citizen. No, no, no. It's not going to happen anymore under the Trump administration. Damn. The other thing I would say is that who else do you want to alienate? Who else you want to alienate? I'll leave it at that. Before I get on out of here, I want to end the show today on a good note. Because I want to take a moment to celebrate, celebrate some HBCU greatness, historically black colleges and universities, in case you didn't know what that acronym meant. I want to take a moment to recognize two positive stories about young black men. You may have missed, according to HBCU Game Day website. Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, the only African-American all-male college in the U.S., recently had not one, but three valedictorians in this year's class. Alan Cohen, a business administration major. George Pratt, a double major in history and religion. And Daryl Sims, a biology major. Props to these young brothers. Doing their things, way to represent y'all. Really, really proud of y'all. Keep doing your thing. Three valedictorians, not one, but three. Black excellence, y'all. Black excellence. The other thing I wanted to mention is another Morehouse graduate graduate also went viral for his tweet a couple of weeks ago, by the way. He said, quote, my name is Jalen Brown, and I am the first person to receive a journalism degree in Morehouse College's 156 year history. It was accompanied by a photo of Brown in his graduation cap. Brown's tweet had nearly 14 million 
abused in a day. Many were stunned at the proclamation and surprised to learn that Morehouse, the great Morehouse University, Spike Lee went to Morehouse University. Samuel L. Jackson went to Morehouse University. Martin Luther King Jr. went to Morehouse University. They were shocked and surprised to learn that Morehouse did not have a journalism major until 2021. Never had one. By the way, thanks to a $1 million gift from the great one, Michael Jordan, and the Jordan brand as part of their black community commitment, Morehouse now has a journalism in sports, culture, and social justice major. Michael Jordan and a $1 million donation from his Jordan brand made that happen. Props to the GOAT. Michael Jordan said at the time of his gift to Morehouse, quote, education is crucial for understanding the black experience today. We want to help people understand the truth of our past and help tell the stories that will shape our future. As you know, I'm a, I'm a proud graduate of Winston-Salem State University. I appreciate Michael Jordan and his contribution. Appreciate the greatness of Alan Cohen, George Pratt, and Daryl Sims, and of course, Jalen Brown. Thanks to, congratulations to all of them. But that quote from Michael Jordan is an appropriate way to end today's show. Because in the day and times that we're living in, with some of the issues that we're having to tackle, it is beautiful to hear somebody so accomplished so meaningful, not just to black America, not just to black history, but all of America and all of American history would take the time to remind us of the importance of knowing about our past. Because if we don't know anything about our past, not only are we doomed to repeat it, but we're destined to be victimized by it. Until next time, everybody, this is Stephen A. Smith signing off. Peace and love. See you in the next day or so. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.